carried, whom they laid daily at the gate uh, of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John, say Peter and John. I want to make sure you know who's in the story right now, okay? Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I want to pause right there, because how bizarre is it that we are consistently, if not constantly, looking for all the things in life that matter the least? Like, how, aren't we all guilty of pursuing God, oftentimes not for God, but for the things we're hoping God will do or give to us? And then we get disappointed when he goes with his plan, not our plan, don't we? It's like, man, God, I was really banking on, you know what I mean, like... I saw that, that girl on Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover, and I just knew that was my wife, and I feel like you really let me down on that. And it's like, brother. Anyways, so, but here's what I want you to grab a hold of out of the gate as we're kind of moving through this story, is we see Peter and John, they come to this layman, and as they come to this layman, uh, he is looking for money from them, essentially, and they look at him and they're like, hey, listen, we're broke too, Okay. But what I do have, I give to you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they meet his need. Hear me, but they, they met the need he was not even looking for them to meet. And how often is it in our lives that we're looking to Jesus, we're looking to God to meet the need that he has maybe perhaps no intention on meeting because he intends to meet the bigger need in our life that we hadn't even asked for yet. How often is it in American culture, that we come to God not to get God, but to get things from God. So what do we do here? The lame man is looking for sympathy and support, but Peter and John are holding significance and substance. And in our life, we are so, uh, we, we have such the opportunity to find ourselves in the exact same place where we're looking for sympathy and support, not realizing that what if it's God's plan to give us significance and substance rather than just sympathy? What if God wants to get you out of your pit rather than just giving you comfort in your pit? Or what if God wants to get in your pit with you rather than getting you out of your pit? What if we look at the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and God's plan was never to get them out of the fire. God's whole plan was to get into the fire with them. Because if he got them out of the fire, if they never had to feel the heat, the people around them would have never saw the tested testimony. See, a lot of us, we want the story of God's goodness, but we don't want the test that leads us to the story of God's goodness. So like God, as long as it doesn't get too crazy, too hard, or too hot... I'm good, but the minute things get hard, I really am gonna, I'm going to be curious to whether or not you're on my team here. But God's saying, again, and we talked about this this past Sunday and the Sunday before that, what if God's intention is not to get you out of something, but to show the world what faithfulness looks like when you're in something? And so 
what we see here is the lame man, again, he's looking for sympathy. He's looking for support. But Peter and John, they're holding substance. They're holding significance. They're, they're holding something bigger and better than just what he's asking for. They're holding the reality of the power of Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, I would love to start this part of the text off by recognizing ourselves as Peter and John. I would love to do that for you. Like, you're on a mission. You've got the call. God's, like, bringing you in. So, like, he's, he's doing all this uh, in your life. But I think that that would be doing you a disservice for a second. Because when I want to, the, the posture that I want to use this text to put you in out of the gate is not that of Peter or John, but that of the beggar. Because before we can find ourselves full with power and on a mission, we got to identify ourselves as broken, poor, lame, and in desperate need of Jesus in our lives. And so that's actually where we pick up. Because the, the average day of our lives in the presence of not just those sent by Christ, but in the presence of God himself, we oftentimes find ourselves begging for provisions more than presence. We're looking for the provisions of God more than we're looking for the purpose of God. And that's what he's doing right here. And, and I, I put this in my notes. I said, if we are not careful, we can find ourselves going to, God for, uh, going to God for him to just help us by making up the difference between what we can and can't do rather than seeking the fullness of what he can do. I'm going to say that again because I feel like that went over some of y'all said. Sometimes I feel like we come to God and we're looking for God to make up the difference between what we can and can't do. All right, God, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do all the things that I can. And then like once I kind of get to the edge of my capabilities, then I need you to kick in. Okay, so that's like, so you're drawing up a football play for God. Okay, I'm going to run the ball to this marker, but then when I get here, I'm going to need to hand it to you because you got to take it the rest of the way. And then we'll both score and we'll both celebrate. And God's going, since when do I take advice from you on how to run plays in life? And so, so often we find ourselves in this place where we're going, all right, God, I'm going to need you. I'm, I'm going to take it as far as I can, but then I need you to take over, right? And so if that works for you, that works for me. And how many of you guys have had great suggestions for God? Right? Like, so, hey, listen, uh, I don't know what you're doing up there, but I've got some ideas down here. Okay, so maybe you should pay attention to what I'm doing and maybe come a partner with my plan. And how many of you found out God don't work that way? God's like, oh, that's cute. And so, listen to me, sometimes we find ourselves looking to God to make up the difference between what we can and can't do rather than looking to God for the fullness of what he can do. What if it's not God's plan to give you that promotion? What if it's his plan to give you something else completely? What if it's not God's plan for that relationship to work and you're so blinded by your own desires, you're missing out on the fact that God's calling won't let you go with the person you're holding on to. What, what if the things that you are striving for aren't part of what God has for you because God has something bigger for you than what you keep clinging to? And the reality is we find ourselves oftentimes not like the disciples full of calling and purpose, we find ourselves like the lame beggar looking for the crumbs off the master's table rather than realizing he's got the whole loaf of bread for us. The problem is you really got to trust him when you're getting the whole loaf. You really got to know, God, your plans for me are better than my plans for me. And 
I don't know about you guys, that's hard for me, all right? So I know y'all are full of faith, all right? So, but I'm, that, that's a struggle for me sometimes. They're like, God, whatever your plan is, I'll take that. Because I have great suggestions. I mean, like, you know, if you could do it this way. Anyway, so, but it reminds me of Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? You? No, me, Jesus is talking. All authority, heaven on earth, it's been given to Jesus. And so when we think that we need our process, our plan, and that we're just going to add a little bit of Jesus on top of it, I'm telling you right now, we are misguided in that. And here's my fear. My fear is that you find yourself constantly frustrated at the God of the Bible and the universe, the God who created everything with the word. You find yourself consistently, if not constantly, frustrated with God because he didn't do things your way. And when that happens, we let bitterness get in our heart. And not only do we find ourselves like the lame man, unable to move in our spiritual walk, but we also find ourselves bitter. And so we see that. But then there's comfort, right? Because then there's the other side of this, uh, the other side of the text where we can so deeply connect with Peter and John. Okay, so now that we've like, now that I've crushed you for a second, let's build it back up. All right, so. Where we can connect with Peter and John. Because how many of you guys know that when we give our life to Jesus, we are on a mission. He does have a call for our life. There are things he's trying to accomplish in us and through us. And so what happens there uh, in the same text is there are people that we're encountering each day. And what is often our answers to them for their needs is to have silver and gold I give to you. But what I do have, I'm not really confident enough to give to you. Let me break that down for you. I believe what many times we find ourselves doing as believers is we find ourselves providing the same support as non-believers, hoping they're just going to see Jesus in us. So rather than, yes, by all means, meet the need. So if, if you were to encounter someone who uh, needs a meal, yes, meet the need if God has given you the grace and the provision to meet that need. By all means, give them something to eat. But here's my thing. If you give them something to eat, but you don't meet the real need, you have done them a disservice, not a service. And so what happens is I believe we as believers kind of fall prey to the opposite of what Peter and John did. And we go, you know what, silver and gold I do have, so I'll let that take the place of the gospel for you. So like here, here's a burrito from Taco Bell but I don't feel confident enough in who Jesus is in me to give him to you. And that's the other side of this coin where we really have to become aware that there's actually something in us. How many of you has Jesus saved, transformed, and is doing an active work in your life right now? How many of you guys don't have to look back very far? Okay. Some of us don't have to look back very far. Amen. Seven of us. I know some of y'all's story, so we should have got a better amen than that, okay? Like, I know of about at least 20, okay? So, no, like, that how, many, how many don't have to look very, very far for you to, you to see what Jesus brought you from and who you are today? He's not done with the work, but he's doing the work, and we get to praise him all the time for that. Hear me, what we need to be doing is not just looking for the need that needs to be met, but we need to be looking for the ultimate need that needs to be met. And if we're going to walk, if we're going to walk with authority, not to make ourselves Peter and John, but what we can learn from Peter and John is that sometimes the immediate need will overshadow the reality that every person we come in contact with needs the ultimate fulfillment, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ for their life. 
And we can't get caught up in only providing, definitely, don't hear what I'm not saying, provide the need. If you got the extra $5, get them a meal. If you can help clothe someone that needs it, do that. I'm not saying not to do that. I'm saying don't just do that. Have enough confidence in who Jesus is in you that you can bring that to them. We can present this hope to someone that needs it. And people tell me all the time, they're like, Pastor Brad, I just don't want to get it wrong. Like, what if I say something stupid? I'm like, listen, if they don't know God, they don't know it's stupid. So just send it. You know what I mean? Like, shoot for the star. Swing for the fences. You know what I mean? And then they're like, yeah. You know, they're like, Does that, what does that mean? You're like, mm, uh, you know. <laughs> like, rattle off some stuff and be like, it's Aramaic. Don't worry about it. Okay, no, but anyways. Don't do that, okay? But y'all know what I'm talking about. So uh, we want to make sure that we see people who are in this position, and we want to make sure we're presenting not just meeting their need that's on the surface, but we're actually meeting the ultimate need. Hear me, as followers, as Christ followers, we have more that we should be bringing to people than just meeting the surface level need. That's why I'm personally not a huge fan of short-term mission trips, because uh, I feel that a lot of people go into a community, they drop Jesus on them, and they're there for four days, and then they leave. But we have not had any time to establish the reality of who Jesus is. We, we, we take a gospel into the place, but we, don't, we haven't put roots in the ground yet. So they're, now they're going, yeah, someone came and talked to us about some guy named Jesus. I don't, you know, like, is he coming next trip? I don't know, like, what's happening there. And, like, we laugh, but this is literally what's on the minds of some people overseas. And so I am certainly a fan of the missions. I'm just invested in finding people who have continual boots on the ground and investing there. But So hear what I'm saying. We need to be meeting not just the need but the ultimate need. And then the other side of that coin that I really feel like, again, American Christians and church folks find ourselves in the difficulty of is we take the easy route. When people are looking for Jesus, we give them our church. And, like, don't get me wrong. Please invite them to our church. Okay, so, like, I'm not, I'm not telling you to, like, don't invite them. You know what I mean? Like, don't y'all be inviting people to our church. Like, I'm not saying that, okay? What I'm saying is we should be built up and confident enough in who Jesus is in us that we give them Jesus, not the church. Because there's a good chance what got them away from Jesus originally was the church. So, so we need to be introducing the real hope because the church is not the hope to sin. The church is the, mess, the, by the way in which the message of hope for sin is delivered. And so uh, if you're one of those people that you're brand new to this, you got saved on Sunday, I'm commissioning you right now. Every person you talk, I'm just kidding. Like, so like, but I mean, eh, maybe. So, uh, but I think that uh, what I want you to grab a hold of is the reality that our life should not be one of church attendance only or invitations to our current institution. It should be an invitation into the faith that literally transforms people's eternity. Again, it's not about meeting just meeting the current need, but that we would meet the ultimate need that people have. Let's keep going. Matthew 25, uh, 35 through 40, if you want a text where it talks about uh, taking care of the poor and taking care of the only, Matthew 25 does that. Uh, we're not going to go there for time. Well, sure we will. Okay, thank you for requesting that. I was hungry, and you fed me, thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you received me in your homes. This is Jesus talking. 
naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me uh, in prison and you visited me. The righteous will then answer him, when, Lord, did we, do, uh, did we do all these things? When did we see you when you were hungry or feed you or when you were thirsty, give you a drink? When did we ever see uh, as a stranger and welcome you in our homes or naked and clothe you? When did we ever uh, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you that whenever you've done it to the least important of these people, you've done it for me. And so that is Jesus' words, so you don't get to debate with that. Okay, so, but let's keep going. So Acts 3, we're going to pick up at verse 13, all right? So, uh, well, we'll pick up at 11 and we'll roll. Uh, While he clung to Peter, actually, I'm so sorry, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up. So Peter takes him by the right hand, raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat in the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder. Say wonder. They were all filled with wonder and amazement. Say amazement. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so like... Complete story. Crazy. Everyone's freaking out. Oh, my gosh, this is nuts, right? And so I, it would happen to me, too. If someone was sitting at our door every day for what we will soon find out is 40 years he's not been able to walk. And all of a sudden, dude just comes strolling in here. We're going to have a praise break session. Y'all know, like, we're going full Pentecostal for 10 minutes. Okay, I'm just letting <laughs> you know right now. Anyways, let's keep going. So then Peter is there. So while he clung to Peter, talking about the lame man, verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? All right. And then he goes on to say this. Now, I want to I remind you of something. If you weren't here last month, I'll give you, I want to, like, remind you of something. If you were here, I just want to bring it to your memory, okay? Remember what we talked about with Peter? How when, in Acts chapter 2, he was the one that stood up and gave the message to the 3,000. But he's also the knucklehead from all the other chapters before. Like, okay, so y'all remember that? How we were like, if Peter hadn't been the courageous one that was, like, lobbing dudes' ears off and stuff, he also wouldn't have been the one that would have stood up when everyone else sat down to speak the message to the 3,000. And so it took the confidence in Peter. So God needed the person that had too much confidence to be the one confident enough to speak up when no one else would. All right? We're going to see that continue in chapter 3, all right, which is why I think Peter is just awesome, okay, so uh, stupid half the time, but awesome, okay, so Peter says this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Listen, Peter's selling out, y'all, in case y'all didn't like, I don't know if y'all like read that, if y'all were really getting it. Peter's like, hey, yeah, first of all, he starts off soft, okay, so let's go back. I just, I don't know if y'all love your Bible the way I do, but I just want to give it to you the way I read it, okay. So 
He starts on verse 13 leveling with them, okay? So we're, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious crowds. So they're Jewish, all right? So he comes out of the gate with words they'll understand. And he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I can see them all nodding their head like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like we're on the same page. And then he goes savage mode, okay? Glorified his servant Jesus. So he's like, God. They're like, yes, God. He's like, glorify Jesus. And they're like, Skr- full stop. Like they're like, I don't know what to do with this. And so he's pointing them to Jesus using the language that they usually have reserved for themselves. And so he's pointing them to Jesus. He said, you delivered them. You gave Jesus up. Essentially, he's like, again, going back to Acts chapter two, he's like, oh yeah, you guys jacked this whole thing up. In all reality, they fulfilled ultimately God's plan. But you can still understand Peter's frustration. So he says, you killed the author of life in verse 15, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. Going on to verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Again, come on, Peter. Like, that... Right here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, any of y'all ever had told somebody not to do something, they did it anyways, and you were like. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking Parents, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. They touched it. They get hurt. Ow. You're like, mm, well, what'd we learn? You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I, again, y'all read your Bible however you want to. This is amazing. There's some stuff in this book, y'all. It's crazy. Okay, so let's keep going. But what God foretold, picking up in verse 18, all right? So, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So to recap what's happening, Peter Peter is using their heritage. Okay, so when he's referencing Moses, when he's referencing Samuel, what he's doing is he's referencing their heritage and he's saying, all right, These are all the things that have been talked about for years. And it finally happened. And you guys are a bunch of morons. Okay, that's essentially, like, that's, again, the BLV, the Brad Livingston version of the Bible. So, like, that's, so he's telling them what happened. And all of this, Peter and John are, without skipping a beat, pointing to Jesus as not just the one who can heal the lame man, but also in him is the confirmation of divinity that they have been reading about for generations. 
So what, what Peter is doing here and John, what they're doing is they're not just saying, yeah, in him, we now have the faith that this man has ultimately been healed in the name of Jesus. Not only does he heal the lame man, but he's actually the savior that you've been waiting on your whole life. Peter goes on a trail to say, this was the guy. And you put him on a cross. And so Peter's still salty. Okay, so he keeps on going. And then we go to Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. For those of you that don't know, that's all the religious people. Okay, so all the religious people show up. Greatly annoyed. Come on. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them. And so, as they arrested them, they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. They believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so, I want you to understand one thing that's happening in Acts chapter 4 right out of the gate, right? Is they fulfilled exactly what they were called to do. So turn to your neighbor and say, exactly. They fulfilled exactly what they were called to do. And God let them get arrested. So can we, y'all read it, right? We all just read it together. So like. They account- 5,000 people got saved. You think that they'd be like, let's party. Celebration is not optional, right? Like you think like that would be where they're at. They're like, lock them up. Surely Peter and John are like, um, God. Like with a crack in their voice though, God. Like, but here's what I want you to understand. Isn't it strange that we identify God's completed work with a nice little bow tied on top? Like, we identify God's completion of the things he does in our life when they look pretty enough for us to say they're finished. But what if God's completed work doesn't have a nice pretty bow tied on top? Do you go to your metaphorical prison And come out of it still praising him when it didn't go the way you thought it would go. And this is my genuine question again because First Wednesdays is the night that we're trying to build up believers a little bit. And so if you're here and you've never heard the name Jesus, sorry, this is a fire hydrant for you, okay? But, But my hope is that all of you that are here would grasp a genuine understanding that despite what some preachers may put on TV... This life doesn't necessarily just become perfect once we say yes to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. My best day with, my worst day with Jesus is still better than my best day without him. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just trying to help you understand that yes to the commission, yes to the cause, and yes to Jesus may not end with the pretty bow tied on top that you've planned for, that your career is looking for, that your degree is hoping for, that your marriage is pleading for. It may actually mean that the ultimate fulfillment of the calling of Jesus on your life means you in shackles. But we don't live for the temporary, friends. We live for the eternal. 
And so we are looking not towards next week. We're looking towards the next life. Because that is where all things fulfilled is waiting for us. So I'm not suggesting that you need to get in your car and go 100 miles an hour down Mobile Highway and run every red light and be like, lock me up. Let's do this, Jesus. Like that's not even close to what I'm talking about that you should be doing. What I'm saying is saying yes to the call means saying yes to the call. And whatever the cost is whatever the cost. You may not end up in shackles, but it may mean that instead of that car, you end up with that car so that you can fulfill the call God puts on your life to do more in the mission field for the gospel. And that is probably more likely the scenario for some of us. It may be saying yes to this house instead of this house because God wants you to give more to whatever it is he calls you to give more to. That is probably far more likely the scenario for us. And so I want to invite you into the space where saying yes to God means saying no to yourself. And letting God dictate to you all the things you now get to say yes to. Because that is the life of a believer. Let's keep going. So we see that Peter and John could have certainly sat back. uh, Coming off of Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. They could have sat back and said, hey bro, we got the biggest church right now. Like Joel Osteen who? You know what I'm talking about? Like... (laughs) Who is Craig Gashel? Like, I don't even know what y'all are talking about right now. Like, Stephen Furtick, not even on my radar right now. 5,000 in one day? Come on, son. Done. Like, give me an Instagram account right now. But that's not the case. They could have just sat back and hung out. But hear me. Here's what Peter and John knew that we can learn right now from this text. Are you ready? And I want you to really grab a hold of this destinations are really just false summits. Destinations in your life, they're really just false summits. I want you all to think about that thing that you can't wait to obtain. That thing. It's a degree for some of you. It's that job. It's that promotion. It's that house. It's that car. It's that income class. When you get it, now what? Because what we have failed to realize in this Christian journey is there is no satisfaction in the things of this world because you have bought into an eternal promise. And so every destination that you create in your life is actually a false summit that will eventually let you down. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go after those things. Follow the Lord's leading in every plan and opportunity he puts in front of you. I'm not saying you shouldn't own a business or pursue a degree. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're looking for that to give you the ultimate level of fulfillment, you are doing yourself a disservice because it will not bring the fulfillment you hope it will. In reality, the journey is the destination. So if you're, the, if you're like that person that's like, man, I just can't wait to get out of this season, buckle up. Because there's another one coming after this that you're also not going to be able to wait to get out of. And to be honest with you, you will find slowly but surely that God's actual plan for you is a non-ending journey until the day we reach glory. So I would fall in love with the journey and really get out of love with the destination. Because the destination will let you down. 
That amount of money will not suffice. That job will not hold you. That degree will not give you fulfillment. Not the way you're hoping it will. So if God puts it in your heart to do those things, do them. But don't put the expectation on them for them to fulfill something that only God is meant to fulfill, which is joy and the peace and the hope that ultimately Jesus is built to fulfill. Hear me, there is a cross-sized hole in your heart. And we got to quit trying to fill it with things that are shaped like houses and cars and dollars. There's only one thing that fits that shape. And that's Jesus. All right. Let's keep going. Some of y'all are like, I'm never coming back to a first Wednesday. So <laughs> leave me with cheery Sundays. All right. So let's keep going. Verse 5. On the next day. Uh, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Cyphus and John, Alexander, and all those who were, man, I need glasses, y'all. Uh, all, all those who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, there he is again, y'all. Turn your neighbor and say, Peter, come on, Peter. But I love this part. You ready? Check out verse 8, guys. I don't, y'all got to read this book. It's funny. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I love how they had to add that part because there's no way we would have thought he did this on his own. Like, the whole Bible being infallible and, like, perfect would have fell apart right here. I'd be like, bro, there's no way Peter came up with this. Okay, so watch this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today uh, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So again, let's look at Peter. Doesn't know how to just let stuff go. Still salty. He's like, that y'all crucified, just, like for, just for the record, you know what I mean? Like he's just, let me add that, boop, right there. So he's like, Jesus, the one y'all crucified, but I love with poise, I mean like not short of his own saltiness, but with poise, like he presents this reality. And the, the truth is, is there's no way he would have done this on his own with such poise and calmness. Like we're talking about the dude that would have just like yanked a sword out and been like, let's go boys. Like this is Peter. All right. But no, like with words, he's like, no, 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 no. Let's confront this properly. And he does. And then when he does it, he doesn't stop to not add on to the end and be like, by the way, y'all still screwed this up, which I just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. I'm writing the next devotional for the year Bible, okay? I'm just letting y'all know right now. That's a lie. Maybe one day. Anyways, <laughs> let it be known to all of you that to all the people, yeah, that Jesus did this. All right, verse 11 is where we are at, all right? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, all right? And so, again, uh, just a jab. And there is salvation in no one else. Say no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter begs a great question filled with the Spirit. Which again, I think this is something that we all want to grab a hold of. Because 
if we're looking at the fact that Peter would not have been able to do this the way he did it on his own, we see the, that God went out of his way to have it pinned that the Holy Spirit was a part of this process. So Peter, we all know, is kind of a knucklehead, kind of a loose cannon, and kind of says stupid stuff at the wrong time. We all agree with that. Yes? Okay, like if you don't just read it, you'll, you'll see that's true. So we all agree that's him. But with poise, confidence, and control, he presents this message to the, to the scribes, to the Sadducees. So he presents this message to them, and this is what I think is so beautiful, right? It's because God goes out of his way to show us again that it doesn't matter who you are, what your personality is, and what your tendencies are. If God wants to use you, he can. And so often in the church, our answer to the call is that doesn't match who I am. Not realizing that God's call is that you would match the call. Not that the call would match you. God is not looking for the call to match your gifting, your confidence, or your personality. He is looking for you to match the call. And he will equip you with everything necessary to do it. So, how beautiful is this? Then Peter starts popping off again. Verse 13, let's go. Now when they saw... The boldness of Peter and John, when they saw the boldness, say boldness, of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Listen to me, how amazing is it that the Jesus that they still didn't believe in was still evident in the ones that followed him. And, and so we come right here and they saw that they were uneducated, common men. Listen, some of you think because you haven't gone to seminary or Bible college, God can't possibly use you the way he wants to. Uneducated, common men. Yeah, but God, like, you know, like, I work at Staples, you know. Is that even a thing? Is Staples still real? Office Depot. <laughs> y'all see how much I buy paper. I don't know. I, I don't know. God, I work at Office Depot. Sorry if any of y'all work at Office Depot. You're like, bro, don't be coming after my job like that. I work at, I work at Payless. I wait tables. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just, it was a thing. I just picked it. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Nike outlet. Good grief. Some of us, uh, some of us are looking at the life we currently live as the reason we can't live the life God currently wants. And God is looking at us saying, no, 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 I'm looking for uneducated common men and women. I'll take the educated ones too. And we get into Paul later, but I'm just saying like, I'm looking for I'm looking for the ones that will say yes, because you've heard this said before, but I'll say it again. God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. He will equip you with whatever is necessary to accomplish what it is he's aiming to accomplish through your life. And so we should be looking for that. Let's hurry for the sake of time. The world, hear me, the world is always astonished when God uses those which seem impossible to accomplish the things that seem impossible. 
to accomplish his glory. The ones that it seems would be impossible to do something through, to do the things that seem impossible because then he gets the glory out of it. And so it's so encouraging. And so uh, God does that. And so let's, let's keep going. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And I, I want to bring something to your attention. They had nothing to say because the story was obviously legit. Like they've walked past this guy for 40 years as far as we can tell. He's been lame 40 years and now he's healed. So they're looking at the lame man going like, listen, we haven't bought into this Jesus thing yet, but this dude was definitely paralyzed. So like, I don't know about all of that, but we know this is real. And hear me, the consistency of his sickness and the proof of his healing left the accusers with nothing to say. And I want some of you to grab a hold of this because some of you are dealing with this right now in your life. Consistency in believers is the way that we can silence non-believers. Some of you are trying to convince with words, but not with action that you believe in Jesus. But the reality is consistency is what shows the world you really believe. Be, staying faithful through the fire shows non-believers you actually mean what you say. Staying faithful when things get hard shows the world that you're witnessing to that this is real for you. Consistency is key because consistency solidifies your story. So be consistent and your story will have its own legs to stand on just like in verse 14. It stood on its own. And so that is the beauty that we have. And we'll move very quickly. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. This is like that Paul situation where it's like, hey, listen, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven. If you leave me here, I'm preaching the gospel. And it's like, what do you do with a guy like that? Answer, nothing. Okay, so it's like, they're like, we don't know what to do. Because the people uh, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed uh, was more than 40 years old. Now, uh, I want to bring one last thing to your attention as we're, as we're reading. And then going into verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And they heard it. They lifted their voices together in God. They said, Sovereign Lord, who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord. And against his anointed. Essentially, they're saying, like, why is this happening? But we see it and we've, we've read it, but why, why are we dealing with it? And I want you to jump down to verse uh, 29 because this is where 
uh, I want to bring your attention to before we wrap up. And now, Lord, this is them praying still. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Say boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so they're praying like, God, like, uh, look, they're not saying, God, take away the tribulation. They're not saying, God, make sure that they don't mess with us anymore. They're not saying, God, make sure that, can we get a smooth road here? Can we not get thrown in prison anymore? That's not what they're saying. They're saying, God, if you can just continue to give us the boldness to keep proclaiming no matter what happens to us. And it reminds me of Luke chapter 22 that Jesus is actually talking to Simon Peter. He's, he actually mentions something where Peter's in a similar situation. And this is what Jesus says to him, right? Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, he's saying, listen, Satan has a plan, actually. The same way we have a plan, Satan has a plan, and he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to get his hands on you. He wants to terrify you. He wants to, he wants to keep you held down. He wants to grind you out. He wants to see if you can possibly get you to give up on this message. And this is what Jesus said to him. He doesn't say, but I've put up a hedge of protection around you that nothing can penetrate. You know what he says? I pray that your faith won't fail. How encouraging is that? Like Jesus, like you couldn't encamp some angels. Jesus responds, I pray that your faith won't fail. Because just like for Simon, Peter, just like for us, and just like for Peter and John in the text that they were all praying, it's going to get hard. As we walk this faith journey out, the enemy is going to have opposition. You're going to deal with things that are difficult. You're going to have questions for God. You are going to wonder why things had to get so bad. You are going to want to know if he still loves you because if you loved me, God, how come you would let this happen to me? Have you forgot about me, God? I'm down here, Pensacola, Florida, the 850. And we are looking to God and saying, if you really loved me, why? And God's answer to us is not, you won't endure any hardships, so don't worry. God's answer to us is the same thing from Acts 4.29 and the same thing from Luke chapter 22. Although the world or the enemy or life may have a plan to sift you like wheat. God, Jesus, right now is interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father that your faith would not fail. That you would remain faithful in the midst of your adversity. That you would remain faithful in the midst of your struggle and that you would remain faithful in the proclamation not of just God's goodness but the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that literally has the power to transform people's eternity. And just like we opened with in Acts chapter 3, God, please don't let us continue solving people's problems that don't need to be solved, meanwhile skipping over the ones that do. 
But my challenge to you tonight as faithful believers, my challenge to you tonight as Christians is that you would take up the mantle similar to that that we see Peter and John walking with in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And that we would proclaim God's goodness and the resurrection of Jesus as the payment of sins that going back to John 3, 16, whomever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Let it be a commission to you tonight that God is calling you to not just faithfully live as a Christian, but to faithfully proclaim as one too. So that we could reach all of those, not just overseas, yes, overseas, but not just overseas, for Jesus, but also the person that lives next door to you. And also the person that you work with and the person that you will pump gas next to tomorrow. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I need that. I'm glad you said that. I'm going to hit that on the way home or tonight. Procrastination, am I right? Go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. As we get ready to wrap up tonight, uh, for those of you that have kids, please make sure you get them relatively quickly as soon as we end, okay? I went six minutes over. My bad. All right, so uh, I just want to pray for you. Um, it's been brought to my attention that there's a number of people just in our church. As God starts to do things, uh, the enemy enacts his plans as well. John 10.10 10 says, uh, says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and life more abundantly. And so uh, as God is doing life and life more abundantly, we also see that the enemy is, is at work as well. And what we know is that Jesus has already defeated everything that the enemy could possibly throw at us. And so God's plan will prevail. His purpose will reign. And so what I'm going to pray over you tonight is Luke 22:32 that your faith would not fail. Because um, that's what we need. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for each person that is here. And as, you, as you've shown us, Lord, you, you, you've saturated us in your goodness. We don't deserve your kindness, your mercy, or your grace. But in an abundant act of love, Jesus, as we celebrated this past week, you laid down your life and you brought it up again. So God, as we pursue you, Jesus, as we pursue this life with you, I pray for each one of us that our faith wouldn't fail but that we would confidently, purposefully, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, we would proclaim your goodness that the world needs to hear. We thank you tonight for every brother and sister that is here tonight. I pray that their faith would not fail. Though hardships may come, I pray that their faith would not fail. Though difficulties and and struggles and pain, God, may come against our lives. I pray that their faith would not fail. That confusion may set in and mourning. They may encounter God, but their faith would not fail. And that we would see the glory of God 
So empower us, strengthen us, lead us, and guide us to be like Peter and John, those that carry the hope of Jesus and those that carry the message of Jesus with the power of Jesus. We thank you tonight and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you guys tonight. Can we give it up for Jesus one more time all across this place? Awesome. We'll see you guys Sunday. High five somebody on your way out.